Welcome to today's podcast. On today's pod, we present part two of our conversation with Chris DeLucia on the profitability of low carbon for oil and gas operators. If you haven't heard part one of our conversation, I encourage you to take a listen. Chris provides us with an in-depth overview of how oil and gas companies are approaching the space. But now, without further ado, we'll rejoin the conversation between my co-host, Hill Vaden, Chris DeLucia, and myself. Enjoy today's podcast. And so how are you kind of, a, you know, a, as a traditional, you know, oil and gas corporate analyst, you know, how are we measuring this and how are you and your team looking at this from, you know, obviously profitability is an easy thing, uh, a metric to, to kind of look at, right? But it's hard to look at embryonic technologies or emerging ideas relative to profitable cash flow generating uh you know, ventures, right? It's just, so, so how, you know, and I know you just published a recent report kind of looking at this, how, as, as Jessica mentioned, you know, can low carbon investment be profitable? How do you even approach that in, in such an early days process? Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and that's actually, you know, just given the, the uh, increasing materiality of spending in the sector, that's one of the questions that we've, we've been getting a lot recently from clients. And we, we heard it a lot at Zero Week is, you know, now that investments in the space are starting to become increasingly material and starting to move the needle as far as um, uh, you know becoming a, a, a growing part of the the overall corporate budget, you know what's what is that doing for overall profitability? How should shareholders think about that? Um, and should they be in favor of these types of investments? You know what's the overall strategy there? That's one of the questions that we we really wanted to answer to be able to get a better sense for you know what what do these investments mean and and how do they impact the overall business? So. We actually, as you mentioned, we, we put out that report earlier this month, um, available on, on Connect for uh, for IHS market subscribers that that examines that uh, overall trend of, of profitability for some of these low carbon businesses versus oil and gas and, and other uh, traditional areas. So it's a pretty complex question. We you know we could have approached it in a few different ways. The approach that we ultimately took was to look at historical reported returns for a, a broad array of sectors in the low carbon space and compare that to oil and gas. So we decided to try to get a, a broad-based group of companies uh, across the globe in, in various sectors. And we, we, you know, I guess just to describe the methodology here, we thought the best way to do that would be to uh, take a third-party uh, equity index or ETF to sort of generate that list and then group all those companies into, into uh, different sectors. So as far as uh, the, the, report that we're talking about here. Uh, for that purpose, we looked at the Wilder Hill New Energy Global, Inoven uh, Global Innovation Index. That's a stock index that includes about 106 companies. Um, and we took about 97 of those companies that we thought were relevant. There were a few other names in that group that um, didn't really fit what we were looking for, some investment vehicles and uh, engineering and waste management firms that, that oil and gas companies aren't really investing in. But we took that remaining list of 97 companies and grouped it into uh, eight different low carbon segments. So that included things like electric vehicles, uh, low carbon generation, solar manufacturing, uh, wind manufacturing, and a few other sectors. Um, so we ended up with eight different low carbon business sectors uh, that we were going to uh, isolate and, and look at returns for uh, across, the, uh, across that group of companies. We also uh, wanted to look at utilities. That, that's a, an area where we see potential investment uh, growing for some of these companies, especially for Shell and Total, both have both of which have um, both of which have talked about that sector as being uh, an area of growing interest interest for them. So, for that group of companies, we took the iShares Global Utilities ETF, which has 64 utilities globally. And then, lastly, to compare that to the oil and gas sector, we looked at about the 30 or so 
IOCs that we cover as part of the upstream companies and the transactions strategies team. So basically what we we're looking to do was compare historical reported returns across each of those segments. We have the oil and gas segment, the utility segment, and then the eight low carbon segments that were included in that Wilder Hill uh, ETF. And we wanted to just see what uh, returns have looked like across that group of companies. Just on a, 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 a note about the returns metric that we ended up using, uh, we settled on operating return on invested capital. So we wanted to use operating uh, net income. So basically net income pre-interest and pre-tax uh, just to basically account for different tax regimes that these companies may uh, face across the globe. And then we also used return on invested capital just to sort of get a, a returns metric that accounts for different capital structures that these companies that these companies may have as, as part of their um, their uh, different business segments. And, and some of, sorry, I mean, please, you, you mentioned utilities, right? That, you know, some of this, you know, I think traditionally utilities, when you're, when you're thinking about that from an investment standpoint, you're looking more at the dividend and predictable cash flows and maybe less so on kind of returns, you know, on returns versus returns metric. Is that some of what's maybe driving this from, you know, the, the companies that, that are showing interest in, in utilities as a cash flow generator and, and a larger diversified portfolio? You know, I think that's a key point. You know, if you if you talk to the companies and if you um, look at what they're saying, I think a lot of the the um, you know the the premise here is that it, you know, it, this is where the 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 energy sector is moving. This is where the demand is coming from. So they want to be positioned for that. But I think a, a big component of uh, of the the sector as well is that um, you know it does have that stable cash flow and returns mix um, that a lot of these companies do rely on for you know, for, for their core premise in terms of generating returns and, and increasing shareholder distributions. So I think that's um, that's a big element of that strategy there. And we actually did see that pan out as far as the the, uh, the results that we saw in uh, in the analysis. Um, and I guess just to just to uh, talk about that a bit more in depth, uh, if we look at the actual results of the analysis that we, we did looking at returns um, within these different segments here, as I mentioned, we had about 10 sectors in total that we were looking at. Um, and so if we look at the median annual return of those sectors since 2010, um, we actually saw oil and gas you know, pretty much at the top of that list. We actually had biofuels um, at the highest median annual return since 2010 with a return of uh, 9%. Again, that's on an operating uh, ROIC basis, uh, but we had oil and gas right behind that at 8.5%. So you know, right at the top there as far as where oil and gas returns have been um, over the, the past, uh, past several years, if we were to actually extend the analysis further to the start of the decade, uh, we would have actually seen oil and gas performing at the top of the list. So between 2000 and 2009, uh, our oil and gas companies actually had a, a median annual, annual return of about 21%. You know, that dropped to 8.5% thus far this decade. And, and a lot of that is a result of the, the low oil uh, price environment, okay. as well as some of the, the heavy investment that we saw within that sector uh, over the past few years. But nevertheless, uh, still, at the top of that list uh, as far as uh, returns relative to uh, some of the other sectors. If we look at a few of the other sectors that um, oil and gas companies have been investing in, you know, we see much lower returns from, from those uh, business uh, businesses. So for example, if we look at solar manufacturing that had a median annual return of 4.2% since 2010, uh, low carbon generation and distribution, uh, the return there was 5.3%. And uh, just getting to the point that you raised before, utilities um, a bit higher, but you know, still not quite at the same level um, as oil and gas. So utilities had a median annual return of about 6.8%. So again, oil and gas kind of the standout there as far as um, you know 
returns generation potential um, relative to some of these other sectors. And have you noticed things kind of shifting or changing? You know, you, you obviously crude collapsed in 2015, right? And, and is that, do you see that changing some of the, the these force rankings? Definitely, you know, and that, that was one of the questions we, we kind of grappled with was, you know, how far back do we want to extend this analysis? Because, you know, on the one hand, if you extend this back further, you get more data points, you have a, a bit more of a, um, you know, a period through which you can, you know, you have multiple cycles and, and you're kind of isolating for that as opposed to, you know, maybe getting stuck in this, the current cycle um, as far as what you're looking at. So, you know, if we look across the board, returns have actually come down across pretty much all of these sectors um over the current decade relative to um you know 2000 to 2009 but the the decline was most pronounced for oil and gas so you know we're looking at a decline of about um 13 14 percentage points between the two uh between the two decades so pretty considerable collapse there as far as um how far uh down those numbers have come but you know nevertheless uh, oil and gas still still uh near the top and um you know one of the things to think about is that as we see where this could play out going forward, you know, we certainly see the potential for that figure to, to pick up just given, you know, we have had a, a slightly improved uh, commodity price environment over the past few years, obviously not quite where it was pre 2014, but uh, nevertheless, we, we have seen improvement there. We're also seeing significant improvement in terms of, you know, how companies are spending and, and we've seen uh, significant cost decreases and some, some real big improvements on project efficiency and, and reduce uh, reduced, project break-evens. So, you know, there's certainly scope for that figure to uh, to turn higher over the next uh, the next few years. When you and I were talking, you know, earlier in the week with Jessica, you know, about volatility, right? And, and you know, the, the report found, and I suppose some of this is intuitive, right, that the, the higher returns are associated or correlated with higher volatility. Um, you know, are, are there things within that kind of higher volatility band that, that maybe, you know, are, are um, perhaps inversely correlated or even, you know, other things that, that might be correlated with, with the volatility of oil and gas that, that may, you know, potentially add concerns to a portfolio or add uh, volatility to a portfolio while, while considering diversification. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that so that was one of the other things that we looked at was that overall level of volatility. Um, you know, we thought the returns figure in isolation um, you know that's one part of the the puzzle there, but there there are other things to consider, and and that volatility component is a big one. Um, so as you said, you know oil and gas, you know among the highest returns, but uh, also had the highest uh, highest volatility uh, among these sectors when measured on the basis of standard deviation. So if we look at the oil and gas sector and the returns uh, thus far uh, this decade, uh, oil and gas had standard deviations of 7.8 percent. So that was the highest among all of these sectors here. Um, just a bit above solar manufacturing at 7.5%, but well above all of the other sectors in terms of, uh, you know, overall volatility of, of terms. So that, that really gets that sort of high risk, high reward uh, proposition that, that you were getting to uh, in terms of, you know, where oil and gas fits. So that is something to consider uh, as far as, you know, the overall uh, corporate strategy and how to think about some of these other investments, because even if, you know, you do see lower returns for some of these other sectors. Uh, so, for example, if we look at utilities, I mentioned that 6.8 median annual return since 2010. Um, but the standard deviation of those returns was only 0.7%. Uh, similarly, for low carbon generation and distribution, uh, you know, standard deviation of returns of only 0.5% there. So, you know, uh, lower returns, but significantly lower volatility. And if you're thinking about the overall 
uh, approach that these companies are are taking and their their overall strategies. You know, especially for some of the bigger companies, if we look at the global integrateds, for example, you know, one of the their their core objectives is really getting to that that um, sustained, consistent returns generation and uh, growth in, in, in shareholder distributions. And one of the ways to get that is to have a, a lower risk portfolio, one that's um, you know, less tied to a particular commodity cycle and, and is able to you know, be a bit more stable throughout the commodity cycle. You, know, you get some of that benefit with things like downstream operations and, and some other areas of, of investment that these companies have. Uh, but we, what we've seen from the analysis here is that you know, low carbon can actually play a role in that overall diversification diversification strategy uh, in terms of actually lowering the overall volatility of the portfolio and giving a bit more stability throughout the, the business cycle. One of the other things that we looked at just to kind of dig a, a bit further into that point was uh, to look at correlation of returns among all of these different sectors. And if we compare the oil and gas sector versus the, the different low carbon and utilities sectors that we, uh, we examined, we found that for the most part, uh, oil and gas was either uh, either had a, a very low correlation or was negatively correlated with a lot of these other sectors. So the one exception there was um, electric vehicles. So the correlation of returns between those two sectors was about 78%. So pretty high correlation there, you know, probably gets to the point that, you know, both of those sectors benefit when oil prices are high. But aside from electric vehicles, you know, like I said, the other sectors were either, you know, either had low correlations or uh, strongly negative correlations. And that, you know, gets to the point we were just talking about in terms of providing that you know diversification benefit so if you know if these other sectors have a low correlation of returns with oil and gas uh, what you see there is that that means that those other sectors actually can provide that diversification benefit throughout the business cycle and if you have sectors with uh, strongly negative correlations uh, that actually indicates that those sectors can actually provide a natural hedge uh, yeah. for these oil and gas operations so you know again, just pointing to the benefit that we do see or the potential benefit that we do see from investing in some of these sectors. How about cycle time? The, you know, the, the other thing that you hear people talking about a lot since 2015 has been short cycle oil and gas projects. You know, are, are these, should we be looking at low carbon ventures as short cycle or longer cycle, or does it maybe depend on, on exactly which project we're looking at? You know, I, I really think it depends on on the the project type and the um, you know, the the type of sector that it's in uh, as well. So, for example, if we're looking at some of these acquisi acquisitions that these companies have made um, in the the low carbon generation and distribution space, especially in Europe, you know, those are businesses that are you know ongoing. They're you know relatively mature as far as their corporate profile, and you know there's there's a big customer base and there's a, a significant or there's a defined uh, cash flow and returns profile there. You know, I think in that sense buying a business like that can have an immediate impact in terms of the, the result on the corporate profile for these companies. But if you're looking at some other earlier stage sectors, you know, some sectors that may have a, a longer way to go as far as uh, market penetration or just overall uh, overall impact. So for example, things maybe like uh, electric vehicles or even areas mm -hmm. like hydrogen, we're starting to see investment. You know, I, I think, um, you know, we're looking at a much longer lead time there as far as when that can start to have an impact on the on the, the corporate uh, profile and, and start to impact returns and, and cash flow. Well, maybe on a, you know, potential kind of short cycle kind of tangent here, but, but you know, I think you've been referring to, to oil and gas companies as exactly that oil and gas companies throughout this conversation. But if we if we divorce it and look at oil versus gas or, or oil or gas, right, that you know, I think many would consider natural gas to, to, to be a low carbon in, in investment, right? And 
we, we saw you know a lot of enthusiasm in natural gas you know in the early part of the 2000s you know some with the the majors particularly the u.s majors investing in shale gas you've got cutter you've got australia you, you've got all sorts of lng projects do investors today recognize natural gas as part of a low carbon portfolio or, or, or are people treating low carbon as more you know outside of fossil fuel no, I think it, it certainly depends on uh, you know on the investor. There there are some that have more stringent guidelines as far as how they think about uh, gas versus more sort of you know more I guess pure play uh, low carbon investments. But as far as how we're thinking about it, you know we certainly see natural gas as, as part of the the low carbon portfolio. Some of this does benefit those companies that have you know as you mentioned been long making investments in the in the gas sector. So we, we've seen you know we were seeing investments in oil and gas and or excuse me in uh, LNG and you know. Uh, some of the the shale gas plays in the U.S., you know, even before this discussion became relevant. You know, the other thing is that some of the largest discoveries that we've seen globally have been uh, gas weighted. So mm-hmm. you know, part of it is just emphasizing that part of the portfolio that was already there. But in terms of how we think about how that fits in with the low carbon strategy, you know, we certainly see it uh, as part of the mix. And, you know, a big component of that is just the... Um, the, the role that we see gas playing in the, the global energy landscape. So as we as we um, progress with this transition, you know, we do see growing demand for gas. Uh, our base case scenarios point to gas taking on a, a growing share of the the primary energy mix. Um, so you know, we're definitely seeing that response from from the oil and gas companies in terms of incorporating that that gas mix within the portfolio uh, to be positioned for that um, that growing demand. Well, uh, I that- think. Uh- Oh, sorry about that. I sorry, think I think just... you guys you guys have, have really covered a lot of considerations <laughs> here. Um, but I want to pull us back together here. Give us the takeaway, Chris. Is low carbon profitable, or can it be profitable for oil and gas? Yeah. So I think you know, just looking at the the, the results of the um, the analysis that we put out, you know, we we do see that benefit. Uh, you know, there's certainly the question about. Um, you know these sectors not quite generating the same returns that we've we've seen within oil and gas, but you know that diversification benefit is important, and especially if we look at the the global integrateds, if we look at the the shareholder composition of those uh, of those businesses, um, if we exclude index investors, what we have is about seventy five percent of uh, the shareholder base for those companies is either value or yield oriented, and what that means is that you know those investors are really looking for. Uh, businesses that can generate returns, that can generate stable cash flow and and grow shareholder distributions over the long term. And to get that, you know, there's there's definitely a um, a strategic rationale for having that sort of diversified portfolio with uh, with an uncorrelated mix of businesses that can sort of succeed throughout the business cycle. And in, uh, you know, to that extent, we do see some of these low carbon sectors playing a role there. So, uh, you know, we also expect that, you know, as these businesses mature and, and, you know, gain a greater share of the energy mix, um, you know, there, there's scope for increased profitability and, and um, progression there as well. And, and also as some of these uh, technologies start to advance and, and costs come down further, uh, there's certainly scope for improved performance on the return side as well. So, so absolutely, you know, as we talked about at the start, you know, these, these investments are still relatively small in the grand scheme of things, but we do see them playing a, a, a growing role for, for some of these companies. Uh, and we, we expect that trend to, uh, to continue. So, so what are you going to be watching then? I mean, you mentioned continued growth, continued investment. What are you going to watch in this space in, in the next few months? Or what do you expect this to look like, you know, nine months down the road, a year down the road? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, we did talk about that, that growing investment, um, just 
seeing these uh, gradual increases in the share of the overall corporate budget for, you know, especially for the, the global integrateds. But we also do see a broader array of companies getting involved in the sector. So, you know, we, we expect to see more activity from from NOCs and, and even from some of the independents and the, the international EMPs that we cover, uh, even if these companies are not making direct investments or uh, you know, doing R&D in, in the low carbon space. There are other areas for movement in the space. So, and we, we've seen a bit of that um, recently. So as an example, you know, Devon Energy uh, earlier this month announced a methane intensity target for 2025. Um, we could see more approaches like that. We could see greater disclosure from some of these companies as far as uh, how they report these businesses. So we do expect to see that play out going forward, especially given that a lot of this shift has been uh, the result of growing shareholder demands. So as we expect to see more investment managers come out with um, greater demands for for transparency and more investment in the space. We do expect to see these companies uh, respond to that. Great. Well, um, we've really tested your range of knowledge here today on, on low carbon. So thanks for, for sticking <laughs> with us. Um, no, what I want to do though, thank you. Yeah. No, it's been great. Um, what I want to do though is is end on a kind of a fun question um, and one we've asked all of our uh, recent podcast guests. So. Tell us if you had a, you know, if you're going to a baseball game or you're going to sit down for a beer or soda with any one person, historical figure, current person, who would you pick and why? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, I, I think I would, you know, I'm, I'm a big baseball fan, so I think I would stick with the uh, the baseball theme that you um, that you just mentioned there. And, and uh, I think that the person I admire most in the baseball area is is Jackie Robinson. So I would say I'd I'd I'd, I'd highlight him as uh, my one uh, person for for that opportunity. I, I just think uh, you know he's a real inspiration, and uh, I don't know. I've I've just always admired the um, you know his ability to uh, persevere in the in the face of such adversity, and I, I I've always just been in awe of that. So I, I guess I would yeah I would say uh, I would say him, Jackie Robinson. Right. Well, I'd, I'd join you on that one, I guess, in the summer. <laughs> Tis the season for baseball, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, um, Chris, thanks for joining Hill and I today for a, a wonderful conversation. And we will definitely have you back as, as um, this space continues to grow. I look forward to that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Hill. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, for listening today. We will see you on our next podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com slash energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.